You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. With that, Christmas has come and gone, right? But if, if you're like me and my family, we actually like to leave our decorations up through the end of the year. So probably at some point this week they'll come down. Or are you the type of person who's already questioning me because I said Christmas has come and gone, but we still have decorations out in the lobby and we still have decorations up on the stage and you've already got your stuff packed up, put away, and ready to go for next year? Well, either way, this season, this, this chapter is supposed to be done and we're, we're moving on. We're ready for what's next. We're, we're ready to move forward. I mean, we've been through the Advent season, and Jesus is here. We have made it through 2020. This is our last Sunday of the year, and the new year is right around the corner. We've made it through nine months of a pandemic, and now vaccines are being distributed. There's there's hope that COVID-19 might finally, at last, be coming to an end. We've made it through so much, and yet, if you're like me, it kind of still feels like we're waiting. I mean, we're here, right? We've arrived. Jesus is here and has given us his spirit to dwell within us. So why does it still feel like we're waiting? I think... I think it actually has something to do with the character of God. I think waiting has something to do with God's purposes in our life. I think waiting has something to do with the intentionality in the ways that God works. We see that intentionality. We see some aspects of that waiting in the early years of Jesus' life. And so, since we just looked at his birth and celebrated his birth, today I wanted to take some time to look at the days after he was born, to see what Jesus' early life was like. We are going to be in the second chapter of Luke, verses 21 through 40. Now, this is a little bit of a long one, so as you are able, would you please stand with me as we read from God's Word? And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years and went from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, there's a lot going on here. So let's start to unpack some of the things that we see. First, Jesus' early life was characterized by full obedience to the law. When he was eight days old, Jesus was circumcised. Now, to us, this may seem like a pretty simple medical procedure, very quickly done, and then you move on. But to the Jews, to Jesus, this marked him as a child of the covenant. Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, they had been told by an angel, and so they already knew how special Jesus was. They already knew that he was of God. But this physical sign marked him as a child of the covenant of God and designated him to be one of God's people. This was also the day that Jesus received his name. This name had been given to him by the angel before he was even conceived, but receiving this name, Jesus, Yeshua, which means to save, further solidified God's purpose for Jesus' life that he would one day rescue or save God's people. That's a big day. That's a pretty big deal. And what to us seems like a minor thing in life, pretty insignificant, actually set Jesus on the path that would one day bring salvation to all of mankind. We also see Jesus and Mary being purified after birth. Now, why on earth 
would they need to be purified? I mean, what does that even mean? Well, God had commanded his people to go through an act of purification after childbirth. While I don't really have time to go into the details of the depravity of man and the, the sinfulness of man and how that would affect Jesus being born in the flesh, suffice it to say that he was born just like you and me into a world that was broken and separated from the Father. And so being born into a sinful world, this act of purification involved a sacrifice, involved an offering of two turtle doves. It involved a burnt offering and a sin offering that would appease God and allow the mother and child back into God's grace. Now, these two acts of obedience, they seem like a lot. They seem like they should be enough to set Jesus on the path to fulfill all the things that were spoken of him, right? But not quite. You see, Jewish law also required that the firstborn be designated as holy to the Lord, to his service. This was to remind the Israelites of the 10th plague in Egypt, where all the firstborn of Egypt were killed so that God's people might be saved. Now, for most families, this consecration of their firstborn was just ritualistic. It was just for show. It didn't actually mean anything. Because while God had commanded that, he later consecrated the Levites to himself. The tribe of Levi was designated to be priests, to minister to the Lord. And so while the firstborn of Israel were still consecrated, parents knew that this consecration to the Lord was just for show, just to remind them, and this child was still able to go on and live his life however he pleased. But for Jesus, this consecration was different. You see, that Levitical priesthood was never meant to be permanent. That Levitical priesthood was a placeholder. Jesus' consecration actually designated him as our high priest. It set in motion God's plan to open up the priesthood to all of us to give access to God where he had previously been removed. So again, the first thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus' early life was marked by full obedience to the law. Not to come and replace it, not to come and get rid of it, not to overstep it and bring something else. No, in full obedience, Jesus fulfilled the law so that we could have something new. The second thing that comes to light is a calling out of who Jesus is and how great he will be. In verse 25, we're introduced to Simeon, a man devout and righteous, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, aside from that, we really don't know very much about Simeon. 
We don't know if he was a priest or a Levite or just some random man in the temple dedicated to the Lord. We don't know much about him, but what we do know is that he was anointed. You see, before Jesus' life and death, before Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven, and before the gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, this man, Simeon, was already anointed with the Holy Spirit. He already had the presence of God's Spirit upon him. And so these words that he says, we know are not coming just from his own confidence. Rather, they come from the confidence of the Holy Spirit speaking into him and letting him know that he would see his Messiah. So he sees Jesus. In fact, he's even able to pick up his Messiah and hold him in his arms. And when he holds the God, his Messiah, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And Simeon blessed Mary and Joseph, and he says to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And we see Anna, a prophetess, dedicated to worshiping God night and day in the temple, now coming forward and seeing God and proclaiming to all those waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem that he is here. Redemption for us is now here. You see, not only did the angels tell Mary and Joseph that Jesus was special, that he had a higher purpose set aside by God, now total strangers are seeing him, seeing God in the flesh, and calling it out, and speaking praise to God, to others, of who Jesus is, and that their redemption is now here. But what does all of this mean? To those of us who have been in the church for a while, it may seem pretty obvious. But for many, these words are cryptic, and they deserve an explanation. Simeon says that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory of the people of Israel. You see, the Israelites were God's chosen people. He had called them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and given them the land that he had promised their forefathers. But he also gave them the law to live by. This law was how they were supposed to live in order to be able to stand before a perfect and holy God. But I already said the world is broken. And so in their brokenness, God's chosen people were not able to keep the law and were therefore not able to stand before their God. You see, this law that shows the way to life with God the Father can't actually provide life itself. 
Instead, it serves just to highlight darkness and to point out their sin. Now, the Israelites knew that they needed saving. They knew they needed salvation. There was all kinds of prophecy about their coming Messiah. So they knew he was coming, and they were expecting him. They were waiting for him. The problem was their darkness was so heavy upon them that they didn't realize what they actually needed saving from. They expected this conquering king to come in and lift them up above the nations and destroy the Babylonians and destroy the Romans and destroy the Assyrians and destroy the Egyptians and elevate them before the world that Israel would reign. They didn't understand that what they actually needed was saving from themselves so that they could stand and be elevated before God, their Father. So Jesus, this light in Jesus, comes and gets rid of their darkness and, and glorifies the Israelites, showing them the way that they can live, the way that they can be with God, their Father. Simeon also says that Jesus is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. He blesses Mary and Joseph. This man, holding God in the flesh, wearing God in the Spirit, is able to speak a blessing upon the woman who had just given birth to God in the flesh. This isn't some, achoo, God bless you, kind of blessing. This is speaking life into Mary and Joseph. But this blessing comes with a realization that there will be opposition in Jesus' life. That Mary will feel pain in watching her son die. You see, what Jesus came to do would flip the Israelites' expectations upside down. He himself would later call out scriptures that said the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this cornerstone would be a stumbling block for the self-righteous and those who elevated themselves because they wouldn't recognize it, so they would trip over it. But that same stone sets the foundation for the poor the rejected, the humble, to be elevated before God, to be exalted in God's presence, to be able to stand before their Father. Well, that's all for the Israelites. So what about this revelation for the Gentiles? I mean, does any of that apply to the Gentiles? Well, for starters, a Gentile is simply anyone who's not a Jew. It means the others or the outsiders. These are the people, you and me, who didn't even know that we needed salvation. While it applied to us, we weren't even aware of the law that, that showed the way to God. We didn't even know that access to God the Father, to Yahweh, to Yahweh God, was even an option. And so, yes, all of that applies to us as well. This light in Jesus came to us 
and reveals to us not only our need for salvation, but simultaneously provides us with that salvation. I told you there was a lot in here. There's a lot in this scripture. Let's jump back in. In verse 39, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. First, we see that Jesus and his family were fully obedient to the law. Second, we see a calling out of who Jesus is. And third, we see a return to normal life, a period of waiting. But this waiting isn't stagnant. This waiting is a time of growth in God's favor. During this time, this is when Jesus prepares himself to actually fulfill all the things that have been spoken about him. So I go back to my question, why are we still waiting? Jesus has come. He's done the work. He's done the preparation. He has fulfilled the law and he's brought us salvation. So why are we still waiting? It's because there's something more. You see, salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone, but it is not salvation alone that is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus brought light into the world, not only to get rid of darkness, but to show us how to live in that light. To understand what I mean, let's, let's look at Galatians 4. Here Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then an heir through God. See, we have an inheritance waiting for us. We have so much more than just salvation. We have life and life to the fullest waiting for us. That's why sometimes it can feel like we're still waiting, even though Jesus has already completed and fulfilled everything that he came to do. Well, next week, Gerald is going to talk about what it means to own that inheritance right now, what it means, what it looks like to step into that inheritance and take hold of it and be able to live that out in the now, not just to have to wait. But for today, I just want you to know that if you feel like you're waiting, that waiting is normal, and that waiting is good. You see, it's in the waiting where we can grow.
It's in the waiting where we can be filled with wisdom. It's in this waiting that we can be filled, that we can receive God's favor. Would you pray with me? Our Father, thank you for these words, for this glimpse at the early life of Jesus. To see how he and his family were fully committed to being obedient to you and your law. To see who he is and how great he is. To see that called out and presented to us. To know that Jesus is worth following. And thank you, God, for a glimpse, a moment to see that even your son had to wait. God, thank you for working in our waiting. So God, as we wait, I pray that we would grow and that we would be filled with wisdom and that we would receive your favor. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray all of these things. Amen.